Welcome to Rule of Law Talk, a podcast series of the World Justice Project. The series is designed to bring you fresh insights from around the world into rule of law issues of the day. I'm Ted Pacone, Chief Engagement Officer for the World Justice Project, and I'm here today with Gerald Stabarak, Secretary General of the World Organization Against Torture, a coalition of nearly 300 organizations working against torture and other forms of degrading treatment or punishment. Wednesday, June 26, is the International Day in support of victims of torture and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. It marks the day over 30 years ago when the UN Convention Against Torture came into force in 1987. But torture has long been considered a crime against humanity that allows no exception for necessity. In other words, the law treats it as an absolute prohibition, regardless of the circumstances. Yet we know <coughs> security forces and law enforcement personnel continue to deploy torture and other forms of cruel pain and suffering to extract confessions or other information or simply to terrify and dehumanize victims and their families. We're going to talk today about these problems and what the international community is doing to address them and what more needs to be done. Gerald, thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Thank you for having me. Tell us about the World Organization Against Torture and its mission. Why was it founded and what makes it such an important organization? Mm -hmm. I think the, the one thing you mentioned in the beginning in your introduction is that torture is among the very few human rights norms um, that never can be justified, that there is never an explanation of necessity, etc. And that is because torture goes to the heart, I think, of human dignity and the human rights system. And the mission of the OMCT was really some 30 years ago when we faced uh, the military dictatorships in Latin America and elsewhere, where torture was such a prominent issue to find a response to that. And a response that is not a top-down mega organization with huge structures, but a response that supports lo local actors on the ground, that supports movement against torture. Because ultimately, if we want to change something in the fight against torture, we need local organizations that can work on the ground, document torture, help victims, report on violations, but also engage states in reforming their systems to prevent torture. So the idea of the World Organization and the uniqueness is that it was built as a network that supports and protects these actors on the ground in the 200-something organizations that form part of our so-called SOS Torture Network. So you have a really global perspective on the problem. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a sense of what the current trends are? You know, what is going on today? Who is practicing torture? Where and under <laughs> what conditions? I think the first point on this is that uh, we face the paradox that we have uh, such an elaborated legal system built up over the years, and there's a certain schizophrenia, you could say, that torture is still around. I mean, we had an event in Tunisia where somebody said, well, is this not something of the past? No, it is not. It is very prominent in many parts of the world. Uh, now, obviously, you hear about the Syrias and Libyas and these type of situations, but what we see in our, in our work every day is torture is quite widespread in many countries, in every continent that you, that you can think of. Um, 
I think torture can have many facets. It can have the national security, the conflict context, but very frequent, frequently it's also the ordinary criminal suspect that is caught up in the system, subject to torture and impunity. So there are many faces to torture. Um, I think probably one of the, among the uh, negative trends that we've seen is that we have more and more closing spaces where working on torture becomes difficult. And of course we have a certain relativization of the absolute prohibition of torture through some of the populist leadership that is emerging around the world, while we have also made great progress in other parts of the world. You mentioned uh, certain trends we're seeing around the world. Our rule of law index has also noticed a clear trend away from constraints on executive mm -hmm. power, and that's the kind of environment in which torture might be more prevalent. Um, so you said something about the conditions currently. Are, just We'll get into this along the way, but in, for starters, can you say whether you think we're making progress in reducing oh, torture? Oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I tend to be an optimist. I think that love beats hate in the end of the day. And I think we see uh, still in many countries uh, that, that we make improvements in the rule of law. There are better safeguards. There's a better understanding in law enforcement and others. And, and we have... Uh, just think about the OMCT itself. With uh, started with something twenty organizations thirty years ago working on torture. Now they are all, all about three hundred. That tells you something that the movement working on these violations and of inequalities and the lack of rule of law has really revolutionized over the last thirty years. So I see a lot of progress in many many parts of the world. The problem, to some extent, is. Uh, <clears throat> to take in a, a picture that I sometimes use when I go to certain countries where there is a willingness for certain rule of law reforms. We criminalize torture, we introduce certain safeguards. But sometimes you have the feeling you're driving a car and your handbrake is always on. So uh, you do reforms, but you want to reserve the right to quell dissent at some point. And I think that's a challenge we have to tackle. And there's a broader challenge that torture poses to the rule of law, mm. both as a direct violation of the law yeah. and its absolute prohibition, but also an effect on rule of law more generally. Can you say a bit about that question? I, I think that is absolutely central in my view. I mean, for me, the rule of law or the, the torture and impunity issue is like a litmus test to, to any rule of law. I mean, first of all, as you said, uh, it's a gross violation of the law. And if you left a gross violation of the law unanswered, it has an impact on your legal system, on your judiciary, on the credibility in your society. But also, uh, sometimes we, we reduce torture to the sort of physical impact it has to the humanitarian issue in some way. And of course, it is a violation that has a very particular impact on individuals, on societies. It destroys lives. It is something that stays with you your whole life. But it has also an implication for the rule of law. If you have impunity in your system, you will not have a rule of law. Um, we struggle, of course, when we deal with torture because it's a difficult violation. It's in secret, it's in hiding, it's in a police station, it's not in the public square, for, for the most part at least. And in any country you have the core spirit that wants to protect each other in a police force, etc. And it is not in the public. So it is a very difficult violation to deal with. And that is a rule of law challenge. And I think one of the challenges we see in that regard is when we raise issues of torture with states, for example, that they say, well, there's a remedy. But in many cases, these remedies don't work when it comes to torture. Um, so we have to invest into, into that. Um, but I think for me, 
at the heart of it, it is very much a rule of law issue, and we should see it as such. And we'll say more about the remedy questions, uh, but first I want to talk a little bit more about the scope of the problem mm -hmm. and uh, tell you about the work that we've done over the past few years. The World Justice Project in Mexico has helped systematically collect and analyze and publicize data from over 58,000 detainees mm -hmm. in the prison system on how they're being treated including, of course, if they've experienced mistreatment or torture. And this have got a lot of attention in Mexico, as intended, but also internationally. We uh, was, were recognized at the Paris Peace Forum uh, last November. Do you think this kind of effort to collect data in the mm. first place about <coughs> the problem is, is useful? Is it, is it, will it help yeah. reduce its use? I think it's absolutely um, fantastic what you've done there. And I think that um, one of the challenges in fighting torture is getting the evidence. Um, as I said, it is a violation that is usually in a place that is not open to the public, or in most cases. Uh, victims might be quite traumatized, might be facing reprisals, etc. So we always have a, a difficulty to, to number uh, the, the degree of torture. And that makes it easier for states to some extent to, to escape the, the recognition that they have a systemic problem. And, and what you've seen in, in, in Mexico with the UN Special Rapporteur going in there saying that torture is widespread and systematic or generalized, the term you used, I think you see this now confirmed by, by the study that the World Justice Project has done. And I think it's, it's something that um, can help to recognize that there's a much deeper problem and that these problems are not only linked to an organized crime situation or in other countries to counterterrorism, whatever it is, but that they are really deeply rooted in the overall justice system. And that goes back to what you asked me about, about the rule of law. Uh, it is an intrinsic... Uh, rule of law challenge. In this particular case in Mexico, uh, the work of the surveying was done by the Mexican Statistics Agency. Mm -hmm. And so hats off to the government for willingness to actually get their hands around the problem. Um, and the numbers were quite staggering. Uh, roughly 85% of the inmates reported mm -hmm. experience with torture or mistreatment during arrest and interrogation. So there's no question that this is a systematic use, and it suggested there are incentives mm -hmm. uh, for them to continue to do that. Um, can you say a bit about what the incentives might be and what can be done to change them? I think, uh, first of all, it, it is really showing that torture is a, a systemic problem. And, and sometimes in the public discourse on torture, we speak about torture as something very abstract against the terrorist, against somebody else, etc. But this shows it's against everybody in the system. Um, now, on the incentives, I think this is the key question, because many criminal justice systems are based on still the old rule that uh, interrogations or confessions are sort of the gold standard in, in or the queen of evidence as the former Soviet Union system called them. Um, so in a way, for as long as you have a confession-based justice system, for example, you will likely to have torture in the system. Also in many countries, you have a system where police and investigators are graded and, and uh, make their career evaluations on the basis of how, how so success, so successful the, the rate is of cases they resolve. So all that creates an environment in which torture is prone. 
And then there's, of course, the institutional culture that is behind, and that's the much more difficult element to tackle in a law enforcement or police or whatever it is. The, uh, th this problem that has been documented through this survey work in Mexico, I'm sure is not just limited to Mexico, yet we really don't know very much about how widespread it's, it's used in other parts of the world. I mean, data collection of this kind is, is still fairly rare. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, the UN Committee Against mm. Torture, which you know very well, um, has recognized the importance of this kind of work. Uh, what would it take to expand these types of data collection exercises to other countries? Well, the, <clears throat> the most evident requirement is that you have an environment where you can safely collect the data and where you have a state that is willing to allow this or to do it in an objective way. Um, I think where that is possible, it is a very helpful tool to, to show how deeply rooted the problem is. But we have many countries where this would not be possible, and what uh, some other organizations have tried to do in those type of situations is to resort to sort of perception indexes. Uh, you had the big campaign that Amnesty did some years back where they asked basically young people uh, about the prospect if they were to be picked up by the police or law enforcement in their country how how high would they evaluate the possibility of being abused and the numbers were quite extraordinary uh, on this perception index um, so I think it, it shows how deeply rooted the problem is obviously there, there are major difficulties in collecting data uh, there there it, in many places you cannot expect that somebody who's still traumatized uh, to openly speak about what they have suffered. Um, in other places, you have people still in detention and you have to wait basically until they are released um, um, because there is the fear of reprisal. But where it can help as well is to show that the remedies we often have don't work uh, because we sometimes have a perception of the rule of law because there's always a complaint possibility on these violations. But if you take the 85% in Mexico, for example, how many of those have gone to any form of investigation and prosecution? And you're basically by a 0% uh, rate. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, impunity rates are extraordinarily high in Mexico. And uh, this is a big part of the problem when you talk about incentives and distance. There's no incentive uh, not to treat prisoners badly because you get away with it. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a clear need to continue this periodically, this survey work, to see if there's any progress being made, if there are any changes. And uh, unfortunately, the Mexican government now says they don't have a budget for it. Mm. Uh, so this is another problem that one can run into. And how do you make this a sustainable exercise so it becomes you know, a core governance yeah. statistic for how we understand, for example, the delivery of criminal criminal justice. Let, let's turn now a little bit to the good practices, the lessons that have been learned mm -hmm. by your organization and others uh, to try to fight this, this scourge. Uh, two approaches that we have identified to help reduce torture are, first of all, a very clear operational procedural manual, manual that is used mm -hmm. by uh, the police and anyone involved in uh, detaining suspects. Uh, on how to handle those situations. And a second approach is videotaping mm. uh, the suspect's contact with the criminal justice system. 
during these key moments of uh, detention. Would these kinds of interventions help, and do you see them being adopted elsewhere? Mm. I think those are <clears throat> those are among the the, the arsenal of, of tools to use to prevent torture, and I think the idea is really here on the preventive side. Um, and if they are embedded into a real political will within an institution to change behavior, they can be extremely powerful. Um, they don't give 100% security, obviously. I mean, we had cases of torture where people are not tortured when they are videotaped, but at other locations. So there's always a way around, and you can have many manuals if they are not lift up with an institutional reform and a leadership in an institution that torture is not acceptable. But they are among the tools that can be very, very useful because you want to to really increase the prevention of torture so that you don't have to deal with the consequences after. So what other tools would you recommend uh, for combating and preventing torture? And are there any countries that mm. you know of where there's been real progress in the last 20 years? I mean, there have been progress in many parts of the world, obviously. I think there there's not one single tool that uh, that makes the difference. I think... For me, the first thing is recognition. The recognition of a problem and the recognition that if we want to eradicate torture, we have to equip our system to do so. Um, and once you have that recognition, it is about developing the different strategies. We work very much as an anti-torture organization in a holistic way. What do we mean with that? We mean that you need a victim-centered approach. You have to recognize that they're victims, they have needs, they have reparations, rehabilitation needs. And the justice system must not be the tool to re-victimize them. Uh, but then there is a lot about safeguards, access to lawyers, access to justice, access to independent medical services, the so-called Istanbul Protocol, where you document torture long after the traces of the ill-treatment have, have passed. So all of these are there, and of course you need the fight against impunity. I think the nice thing to say in some ways, um, because torture is man-made, it's also man-made to eradicate it. We can and we know what can work to eradicate it. And in many places I think we've moved forward with the legal side, uh, with the criminalization of torture. You have now in most countries of the world criminal offenses that uh, more or less comply with what is in the UN Convention Against Torture and criminalizing it. And when you speak about data gathering as you did before, I mean, for as long as you don't even define torture in your codes, I mean, you will not have the segregated data on it, for example. But of course, I mean, even though I'm a lawyer, um, I know that uh, when I worked with a judge, he said, uh, paper can be patient. So it's how we turn the paper into reality and how we work with law enforcement, how we empower civil society to work on torture and, and really bring this problem to the fore. You know, there's also, as we've seen in this country, the United States, a definitional problem where mm. uh, in the infamous uh, <laughs> episodes after 9-11 and the treatment of uh, Guantanamo detainees and others who, in Afghanistan in particular, who were um, mistreated by U.S. forces, and after many, many years of various efforts to investigate this, um, remain unpunished. And But there's an ongoing debate in the kind of political culture about mm -hmm. what do we really mean by torture and, oh, no, uh, this kind of mistreatment is not mistreatment mm -hmm. at all. It's how you uh, handle these kinds of tough guys yeah. who have to be uh, punished and, and we have to get useful information from them. Um, 
So here we are, uh, how many years after 9-11, have we learned anything about how to handle that kind of argument? It's interesting because we, we have at the World Organization Against Torture just launched a new initiative of a working group within our network to engage in that argument. And it's, it's really not on the legal side of the argument. It is about how do we engage in the public argument with this. And how do we avoid that there are corrosive discourses that sweep away reform processes in our countries and make the case on torture very difficult? I take the example of Tunisia, where the OMCT has an office and is very much engaged, where the counterterrorism argument risks to, to question the reform process in many ways. Um, have we advanced overall? I think, uh, to some extent, I think the, the big challenge we have today that we wouldn't have had 15 years ago is there's an increasing relativization of the commitment on torture. And it comes not from the Egypt's, Turkey's, and the countries that we usually associate with torture. It comes very much from Western governments or democratic states. If a U.S. president says, well, uh, for as long as torture works, I would use it, uh, then you have basically a massive challenge to the, the principle of the absolute prohibition on torture. And you have this not only... In the U.S., you see it, and in, in some of the other countries, uh, Brazil, Philippines, etc. And interestingly, a study of the ICSE some time ago showed that the acceptance in the public opinion in democracies and developed countries is increasing, whereas in countries where actually torture happens, where people see it, where people feel it and smell it, there's a very clear understanding how damaging that is. Mm. So the the public perception and the acceptance of torture is actually increasing in the Western world as opposed to where torture really happens in the massive state scale. Yeah, that, that is a fascinating uh, trend and one that I suppose, as you said, has to be addressed through political uh, communications channels mm. and having those open debates. Uh, and I suppose also having victims who are willing to mm. speak publicly about yeah. it to uh, tell their story. Um, and I wonder if you've worked much with um, uh, documentary filmmaking and yeah. other storytelling initiatives yeah. as we have done in yeah. Mexico. I think that is, uh, that is key. I think that more generally you could say that um, maybe because of the transition context positively we had in Eastern Europe in the 90s and in some other parts of the world, we became, globally speaking, a little bit too technician in the anti-torture world. And I think we realized that we need to engage much differently in the public argument. We have to show that torture is not a niche issue, that torture is not only us and them and an undefined them, but it, it happens in our society. It is in our interest that we address it. So in a way, we have to invest much more in that because we also have to make sure that the public actually supports the reform processes we want to see happening. Um, so I think there's a, a rethink in some way necessary in the human rights community globally, but also in the anti-torture world, that it's not only about laws and policies and institutions, but it is about the public argument and showing how much more torture is, I sometimes say it's like a cancer disease of society, or you could say um, um, there's this picture of a canary in a, gold, in, a, in a coal mine, and I come from a coal ring region, uh, where when you go down in the coal mine and the canary has breathing problems, you know that there's a problem and you have to go up. And I think we have to start communicating and seeing torture as a much bigger issue, like as a much bigger rule of law issue, 
or development issue or security issue or a marginalization of, of communities. So I think we have to take torture a little bit out of the box. We need a technical response at times, uh, like we need transparency versus darkness. Um, but we need to make a public argument about what the impact of torture is and storytelling is key to that. Do you see a particular moment ahead in which that can come together in some way? In other words, are we um, able to bring this issue to other forums and uh, integrate it and mainstream it into mm. these larger uh, concerns, as, as you said? And, and more generally, just as a final set of questions you know what do you see overall i mean you've already laid out mm. a lot of good ideas but what, what do you see overall as the the best path forward well that's the tough question at the end but i i, I wanted to say that uh, i think it's really making this broader argument and then to some extent what we need to do globally is re-tabooing the taboo I mean, one of the popular strategy is, in a way, the principle is breaking the taboo. And sometimes there's a reason why taboos exist. And on torture, I think we have to re-taboo torture. Uh, I think that globally is a start. There are some good initiatives. I mean, we see, for example, at the European or UN level, um, initiative on trade and torture to outlaw certain um, tools that are used. Uh, now, we shouldn't fool ourselves to the extent that we feel that um, uh, trade restriction on certain shackles, etc., will eliminate torture. But it can be part of recommitting the international community to the fight against torture. Um, and I think we have to think more on those ways, how we reach out to broader communities. Um, and ultimately, I think that, um, for me, the biggest achievement over the last 30 years is Yes, on the laws, on the conventions and the frameworks that we have created, both uh, internationally and locally, but also on creating an anti-torture movement. Um, uh, when you went to the UN Committee Against Torture some 20 years ago, you would see only international Western organizations sitting there. Today, you have the organizations from Mexico. You have journalists getting involved in Mexico. You have... Um, a human rights movement that has never been as universal as before and maybe some of the backlash on this human rights movement is precisely because we have more people out there we are more effective we are more universal than ever so i think we have to protect that space of uh, people who work on torture on the ground so in a way you started with asking me about the founding idea of the omct and i feel that uh, that is more needed than ever we have to build this movement we have to protect and support and empower these people I think that's a very positive note to end on and wish you all best of luck in building this movement. We at World Justice Project consider ourselves allies with you in trying to build such a movement for the basic principles of the rule of law and um, want to give you a final word. Yeah, I think I just wanted to pick up on that. I think it's very important that we in the legal community understand that it's part of our ethics and part of our responsibility. I've seen in many places complacency in the legal and judicial community to this issue. And I think it's ultimately about me being a prosecutor, about me being a lawyer, about me being a judge that I care about this issue because it is a core rule of law, rule of rights challenge. And I think connecting the word 
never with torture to make it clear that it is always prohibited it can never be justified is uh, what you said about retabooing the taboo i think that's the vocabulary we need to get back to thank you gerald sabarak secretary general of the world organization against torture omct and we look forward to our next uh, rule of law talk thank you <laughs>